Hey, Trumpcast listeners, Virginia Heffernan here. So you're about to hear a short excerpt from today's episode of Trumpcast. It is a teaser. To listen to the full episode, you need to be a Slate Plus member. We've started making one in four Trumpcast episodes available exclusively to Slate Plus members. We hope you'll join Slate Plus to hear the show and to support the work we do here at Slate every day. You get no ads on any of our podcasts, extra content from other Slate shows like Slow Burn and the Slate Political Gab Fest and all kinds of other swag and bonuses and excitement. So sign up now at slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus to get every single episode of Trumpcast in full. It's only $35 for the first year. And as always, thanks for listening. Craig Unger is joining me in the studio. He is the author of House of Trump, House of Putin. Now, before we begin, I want to tell you a story, a personal story about someone you'll hear me talk about with Craig, Felix Sater. So I hope you recognize this name. Felix Sater is the kind of scurvy street kid who came from the Soviet Union to Brooklyn in the 70s. His dad was sort of a vice president in the Russian mafia. Felix was a smart guy. He got in trouble, got in a pump and dump scheme, $40 million stock fraud. But to get out of that, he became a criminal informant. And he turned over, in some cases, information on Al-Qaeda, all these other crazy things. Some people say he's the greatest criminal informant in the world. Also, though, very close to Trump and tried, as we now know, with Michael Cohen to orchestrate a scheme to build a hideous hundred-story building in Moscow. Trump's hope was that it would be the tallest building in the European continent. If you look back, BuzzFeed News has the whole story in May, of how Felix Sater and Cohen collaborated to try to make this happen, even in sync with the 2016 election. So these are the real bright points of collusion. Anyway, Felix Sater is not some kind of um, shrinking violet who doesn't like to talk to the media or is very cautious about what he says, even though we know that he's talking to Mueller, even though he's been to jail, he's a felon, but he's also an informant. He's everywhere. And a few months ago, maybe against my better judgment, I took a call from Felix Sater. Now, he loves to use the press, and it occurred to me I should have him on this show, and then I thought, you know, I, I'm afraid of him. He's either like, could bring a margarita glass. Anyway, I had an amazing conversation with him over one of these secure apps, and I want to tell you about it. So, Felix Sater is a religious man, and like a lot of the Brooklyn Russians, he got involved with Chabad, which is a kind of subset of Judaism, he wanted to talk to me about religion. He also wanted to talk about his time in the Mueller room. The first thing he said was he had just come from seeing Robert Mueller, and he was very pleased because Andrew Weissman, who's one of the prosecutors with Robert Mueller, Andrew Weissman had greeted him like an old friend when he came into the room, where the other prosecutors were cold and reserved. And he said he gave him a big hug and asked Sater about his children. And Sater felt very welcome there. I don't know anything about sitting through an interrogation, but having seen one episode of one television show, I think I would recognize good cop, bad cop in that. But put a pin in that. Andrew Weissman is also the person who flipped Sater, who got him to rat out all kinds of his Confederates in the Russian mafia years ago when he was on the hook for that pump and dump scheme. So remember, Andrew Weissman is this warm presence to Sater, 
who he thinks brings him to the light, makes him like on the right side of things. Flashing back to another data point, Mimi Roca, who's been on the show, former federal prosecutor, told me on the show that people who are very subservient, like Smithers types to their bosses, make really, really good state's witnesses when they flip because they cathect onto a new father figure, in Felix Sater's case, Andrew Weissman. So instead of it being Donald Trump or John Gotti, now it's the Fed. Back to Felix on the phone with me. He says, yes, I'm in Chabad. You know, I'm a religious guy. And suddenly he said, Virginia, do you think I'm a bad person? And I said, well, you know, some people say you're the greatest criminal informant in history, Felix. And he said, yeah, but, you know, if I get to heaven, and I'm not sure I believe in it, but if I get there, how are they going to greet me? And I don't know what got into me, but I just wanted him to feel better. So I said, I think they're going to greet you like Andrew Weissman did. And he cried. All right. Joining me today is Craig Unger. He is the author of House of Trump, House of Putin. Welcome, Craig. Well, thank you for having me. Great to be here. How did you find yourself writing House of Trump, House of Putin, which connected some of these most far out dots in this story? You know, I was as stunned as anyone by the results of the 2016 election. I was just completely baffled. It took me completely by surprise. But I started talking to a bunch of people and uh, someone I know who's a lawyer who spent a lot of time in the former Soviet Union said it's all about Mogilevich. And I did ah. not. I didn't know what he meant. I'd never heard the term Mogilevich before. Simeon Mogilevich yeah, is that? one of the most powerful uh, men in the Russian mafia. He is the financial genius behind them. And I pretended I knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yes, sure. Done I it. learned how to spell the name. And I immediately went home and I just started Googling. And I, uh, within a few minutes, I found a database of, uh, it's open to everyone, called Street Easy. And you, it has all the purchase and sales of all units, all homes in New York mm-hmm. State. And I went to 721 Fifth Avenue, Trump Tower. Every time I, t- I had a Russian name, I wrote it down and I added the word Mogilevich. And it was like going to Vegas and hitting the jackpot again and again and again and again. Amazing. And it was money laundering, money laundering, money laundering. So you mean you were connecting each person in Trump Tower to Mogilevich, like there was some way that Felix Seder went to Mogilevich or the other residents of Scurvy, the Motley Crew. that, well, it's like the we work of mafia people. You know, they like work and live there. And right. Yeah, exactly. And and then I just started Googling everyone I could and putting together a lot. You know, sometimes I'm criticized because it's open source. These are public records. And, and there are a lot of uh lawsuits and prosecutions all over the world. But there were also newspaper clippings. I lived here in the 80s. Yeah. And you may remember the New York Post and the Daily News having these mob stories. And no one, it never occurred to me that a Russian mobster scam in Brooklyn had geopolitical consequences. So you start looking at Trump Tower, the current residents of Trump, or the Residents in 2016 or well, going not, back not, away? Not so much now. And and to be honest, there there are real problems in, in discerning, figuring out exactly who's there because so many of the purchases are through shell companies. And yeah. uh, as a journalist, I don't have subpoena power. Robert Mueller does. Yes. And that's what's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. But insofar as I was able to piece things together, you start to see a 35-year history of Donald Trump 
being tied to the Russian mafia in very, very important ways. Yeah. And it goes back to the days of Roy Cohn, the great dark satanic prince of the McCarthy era. Yeah. And who was Donald Trump's lawyer, who was a, a lawyer for two families in the Italian mafia, just as they were merging with the Russian mafia. Right. Wow. And Trump comes up with the idea of Trump Tower, and it's structured in such a way as to allow transactions that are all cash transactions by anonymous shell companies. Mm -hmm. And that, in effect, is laundering money. So the topic of the mafia and the various families in New York. So the Italian mafia got sort of kitschified, so you're allowed to talk about the families. But the Russian mafia was known to me as, like, Sub Rosa as the Jewish mafia <laughs> when I first got to New York in the early 90s. And you kind of couldn't talk about it because it was, like, unclear what was up with it. But the Jewish slash Russian mafia was merging, I guess. I mean, I'm having to read back and understand what right, had ha right. what happened to organized crime. Right. Well, well, in fact, again, it's hard for Americans to think about this, but the Russians were using organized crime, the, the Russian government, and it was the Soviet Union back then, actually. Yeah. They were using them as state actors, and that is the biggest, and it, it's such an enormous difference, and I want, uh, if it's one thing I can make readers and listeners understand, it's that when you're dealing with the Russian mafia, you're, you're dealing with state actors. Uh, it's like dealing with the KGB. And, yeah. and, and that is not speculation. I interviewed General Oleg Kalugin, who'd been head of counterintelligence for the KGB. And he said, oh, the Russian mafia, yeah, they were a branch of the KGB. And as a spy in New York, he used to go into Brooklyn, into the night spots like Rasputin and Tatania. Yes. And recruit Just for, for out-of-towners, Rasputin and Tatania uh, are... In the 80s and 90s, if you wanted to just have, like, a crazy fun time, you went to Brighton Beach to these Russian cabarets where they served, if I remember right, plastic-wrapped herring and vodka shots, and you learned to drink like a Russian, and they became, like, this stumbly, crazy affair, and you were, like, in another world. Like, the women were in strange gowns, and people were singing, and there, you people had guns, and... Yeah, I don't think I'd go back there, but yes, those places. So, And that's where they met. And this ties into Donald Trump in dozens of different ways, because one of the night spots, El Carib, was owned by his family, by his uncle, ah. Dr. Uh, Morton Levine. <laughs> and who, who Wait, was, whose uncle? Uh, Michael Cohen's uncle. Oh, Michael Cohen. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Um, and that was where the sort of unofficial headquarters for the Russian mafia and at the time, I mean, we're, Michael Cohn, of course, is in the news a lot today. Yeah. But back at the time, and we're going back to the 80s, Michael Cohn was friendly with Felix Sater. Yes. And Felix Sater's father had been part of the Russian mafia. Mm -hmm. Felix himself is said to have been part of the Russian mafia. Mm -hmm. He and Michael Cohn were friends. Michael Cohn's uncle owned the operational headquarters. And Michael Cohn and his brother both married Ukrainian women whose in-laws are tied up with various uh, uh, oligarchs. So that's the teaser for today's show. Aren't you tantalized? Don't you want to hear the whole thing? Well, now's your chance. You can sign up now at slate.com slash Trumpcast plus to get every single Trumpcast episode, all of it, no ads. It's only $35 for the first year. Go to slate.com 